I always tell people, stop asking what AI is going to take away from you and ask what you uniquely have as a human that's different than what AI could ever replace. There's the empathy side. There's the connection side. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hey, everyone. This is Washington Farrington from Tonkin, filling in for your normal host of the Modern Business Operations podcast. Today, I'm here with Tim Sackett. How's your day going today, Tim? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So to kick things off, I went on LinkedIn. I stalked you a little bit. <laughs> and I noticed that you have been in the HR space for quite some time. So yeah. would you mind just sharing a little bit about your background in the HR space? I also saw you were a board member too. So would you mind sharing some of that for us? Yeah, I started like literally recruiting right out of college. And then got my master's in HR, decided to go the corporate kind of HR route, and then kept getting yanked back into recruiting because people would go, yeah, we love you in HR, but we can't find people or we can't hire for this. Eventually, you just kind of career up and do that bounce back and forth. Probably 12 years ago, I started blogging in the space. And so really talking about recruiting, talent acquisition, execution, leadership, and I was writing every single day while still doing full-time HR professional, TA professional work. And that funny thing happens where you start writing on the internet and people think, oh, you must know something. And so that turns into speaking deals and book deals. But then about eight years ago, I started actually getting really into the HR tech startup space and talking about technology. So I would review tech and demo and brief. So that turns into getting on advisory boards and helping startups get launched and talk about product and sales and all of that stuff. That's actually really awesome. I feel like a lot of people have the question of how do I get on a board? You just covered it right there. The first thing is to just really make a name for yourself in the space and really start to be influential at the end of the day. I think most people have good ideas they could give to a board, but like, why would they choose for you to be on there was the question. Exactly. I'm curious about this. How pivotal was LinkedIn for you over the past few years since it's had just a major boom pushing you into some of those positions? You know, it's interesting. There was a time <laughs> not many years ago where there was like 10 people that were allowed to publish content on LinkedIn. It was the CEO of LinkedIn, Jeff Weiner. It was like Barack Obama, Richard Branson. It was like these giant icons in the world that were able to actually post. And then nobody else could. And then also it opened up and everybody could. And I was like writing my blog during this time and somebody on Jeff Weiner's team actually shared with him basically the 10 rules of hugging at work, like how you should hug professionally. And it was all okay. a tongue-in-cheek joke. It wasn't serious, but he liked it and he published it. And in one day, millions of people read this thing and it went viral. There was like a viral aspect to potentially what LinkedIn can do, which then helps obviously create your voice at a little bit higher level. I know there's ways and there's a lot of content creators out there. They spend every day, all day, just thinking about how they go viral. But I think the things that go viral are the things you don't count on. And I never counted on that to go viral. It just did. So Nice. That's awesome. You have to send that to me. I'm very curious. I definitely want to read it, even though I haven't been in the office. The very first one is when you hug somebody at work, you don't lean in and go, you smell so good. You just don't do that at work. <laughs> oh, darn. I've had that happen to me a few times. They were doing it all wrong. Doing it all wrong. Not, they're not professional at all. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> but let's pivot into the main topic of the podcast today. And that is... The future of employees, if robots are doing all the work, what do we do? Yeah. I feel like that's something that's been on top of everyone's 
mind over the past maybe six months ever since ChatGPT exploded onto the scene. So I'm curious to hear what are your thoughts on this specific topic, as well as where did the interest for this topic stem from? Well, again, I'm a technologist at heart. I love the technology space. And we've been really in the HR tech space for sure, but really in any tech space, when the whole machine learning thing happened eight to 10 years ago, and companies started talking about, oh, we're built on machine learning, we're built on machine learning. Really what they were saying is we're built on an early version of artificial intelligence. I mean, machine learning is a component of AI. And so most companies have been using AI longer than what they imagined. It was just machine learning. And even in the HR tech space, there was this piece where I would say over the last probably five or six years, people would go, oh, but you got to be careful with AI because AI is racist. And I'm like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And they're like, oh, well, look at this example. And this company is going through a lawsuit because it was choosing white people over black people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I said, well, do, but do you understand what machine learning does? <laughs> and they didn't. And you go, look, all's, all's artificial intelligence is like a young child that you're teaching it. And what you teach it is then what it can go and do more and more of very quickly, very well, better than you can. So if your hiring manager loves to hire white dudes, it's going to learn that you like to hire white dudes and it's going to teach you and show you how it can hire more white dudes. The AI isn't racist, you're racist. (laughs) And people are like, oh no, (laughs) wait a minute. (laughs) And having that kind of like the curtain opened up for them and showing them how they were teaching the software to be biased in some way, they go, oh, but as more and more versions of this came out, we can actually audit the algorithm. We can train the algorithm, teach the algorithm not to be racist or not to be biased in some way. Whereas I can try to educate Jim, the hiring manager, not to be biased, but he can also hide it very well. Where AI and software can't hide it. I can actually audit it and see where exactly what's going on. And so I always tell people I'm less concerned with my AI being biased than I am with my own people. That's harder to control. I was at a tent conference in San Francisco about two months ago sitting with an AI professor from Stanford. And he made the comment of, anytime you add human into a process, you increase bias. Anytime you add AI into a process, you decrease bias. And I think most of the people in the audience were HR people probably disagreed with that, but he was very logical in how he kind of was able to explain that. And so it's like, well, if you really truly want to eliminate bias out of your hiring process, you should be using more AI, not less AI. But I think this explosion of the interest is all because of chat GPT and generative. And everybody wants to know, oh, is it going to take my job? Or how can I use it to be better? How can I use it to be a 10x employee kind of thing? That's interesting. I was in the HR tech space for about three and a half years. Like you said, we've been using AI much longer than we know. It was just called machine learning. I was a part of that big breakthrough with machine learning where we know that facial recognition burst onto the scene out of nowhere. Yeah. And it yeah. was called machine learning. It wasn't AI, just machine learning. And going through that and seeing a lot of the problems that it caused, and it's okay. I wish I would have thought about it back then the same way. Hey, this is just a very small step forward into what we're going to be able to do in the future. And of yeah. course, we're going to have hiccups and things like that. And you brought up a really good point with having bias within the process. It's just like when people are implementing GPT into their day-to-day or any LM into their day-to-day, it only can use the information that you trained it on. And like you said, if the information is biased, yeah, the process is going to continue to be biased. 
until you start implementing more and more data sets to it to realize, oh, something's a little off here. Exactly. I always tell people, they always go, like, well, if you can't trust the answers coming from GP or BARD or any of the big LLMs because of hallucinations, what would you do? And I go, well, let's say your work peer, Tiffany, sent you a spreadsheet or sent you a graph of some data that you asked for. And you were like, there is no way that could be right. You would actually do research and you would look into it yourself and you'd ask more questions and you would either determine that it was right or there was a mistake or there was an error somewhere in there. The same thing happens when you're working with generative AI. It gets better and better, right? The longer it goes, it's going to continue to get smarter and be better than we are. That doesn't mean that it won't make a mistake. And if you see something or feel something where you're going, that just doesn't seem right, then you're going to have to do more research, right? I'll give a great example how it hallucinates. I was getting ready for a big presentation. So I wanted to give some examples. And so I said, what is the most controversial comment that Tim Sackett has ever made? (laughs) It literally came back with, don't hire ugly employees. They'll reduce the value of your company. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never said that. It literally made it up as a quote. (laughs) And so I said, can you give me the source of where you got this quote? And it gave a blog post of mine where I said, you should only hire pretty people because they increase the value of your organization. And instead, it actually made up a negative connotation of that versus the positive connotation. And again, I was making a joke right around hiring pretty people and all these companies that you walk into some company and you're like, holy crap, everybody here is beautiful. What's going on? There has to be some kind of a hiring thing going on here where you only hire pretty people. That's one of those things where you go, oh, I can actually go to the source. I can ask it where it's getting its source. I can actually delve into the background of where it's getting its research. And either it made it up or it actually will give you the right data and you can find out what happened to it. Exactly. And speaking on essentially hiring people based on them being pretty, right? But not, yeah. not direct correlation. But how do you think that AI automation is going to affect the job market over the next, let's say, three to five years? Everybody wants to know immediately how is it going to impact their job. And we start to see all these little features coming out in the technology, most of which is little tasky things. Like, I need to send a message to all of my employees regarding a change in payroll for a holiday week or something, right? Immediately, the AI would just craft that message, let you look at it, let you tweak, make some changes if you want, bam, you go out. You no longer have to create it. You can go back and talk to it and say, hey, I need to craft this message and I want to make it sound very upbeat and this is a very real positive, blah, 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 whatever. And it's going to come back in that tone, right? That's a lot of what we're seeing. I need to send 25 personalized messages to candidates regarding this job to see if they're interested, right? And instead of saying one template that's going to send out to all 25, it will actually specifically come up with 25 personalized templates where it's not only taking some information from your current job or your current profile and the job that we have open, and it's combining those, right? So everyone's going to feel like, wow, this recruiter really spent time looking at my background and how it fits with a job. And I feel like this person really wants to get to know me. All of that can be done right now with generative, or those are the things we're seeing being launched at this moment. But you can foresee then in the future, I would think a hurry manager is going to go, hey, AI, I need to hire another software engineer like Washington that we hired six months ago. And it will come back and ask, okay, do you want exactly another Washington? (laughs) And the manager might go, yeah, except I also need to add a little bit more of this front-end development, don't need as much testing, and it would craft, right? And then it would go out, it would post the job, it would search for people, it would reach out to them, it would help them schedule their interview. If there was any pre-employment like testing or whatever you wanted to do, it would take care of that. 
it would continue to nudge these candidates. And you know, six, seven, eight days later, the manager would go, holy crap, I have this person scheduled on my calendar for an interview. And the manager could also, during that process, go, hey, AI, just want an update. Like, where are we at? And the AI would come back specifically and say, I've reached out to 523 candidates. I've heard back from 17. It would actually give specifics. Right now, you ask a recruiter that and they'd be like, yeah, I'm working on it. And I've talked to a couple of people, haven't found anybody yet. And it's just so hard for them to actually come with really great data where I think in the future we'll see that. So then the question would be, okay, well, gosh, that sounds like you're going to eliminate all recruiting. No, I think recruiting then evolves into being the true talent scout. Like right now we tell hiring managers, hey, here's the best talent. We only hire the best talent. We hear CEOs and executives say it all the time. Here at Amazon, we only hire the top talent. No, you hire the talent that applied to your job at the moment it was open. And basically what you're hiring is the tallest of the seven dwarfs, right? You don't even know if that's the best talent. It could be the worst talent possible, but it's the best talent that was available at that moment you posted the job. I think the future of recruiting then, where recruiters really go out, understand who actually is the best in every job. And now how do I go after them and get them interested in our company and our positions we have, our hiring managers, and really get them to desire to come work for us? That's a completely different way than how we recruit right now. 100%. I have a funny story about that too. When I was in the HR tech space, we ended up working with a large grocery chain and there was something, the way that their HR system was set up essentially, or their ATS system was, yeah. it sorted everything alphabetical. So then they ended up only hiring people whose names started with like the first five, six, seven letters of the alphabet. Yeah. Because of course they needed to hire a mass. Yeah. Well, are you truly getting top quality hires or are you just hiring the first people to come through the door? So I think it's super important that you said this doesn't eliminate the role of the recruiter because it doesn't. It changes what their day-to-day is and it makes it easier for them. Washington, it's a great example because I think, again, even most well-run ATSs nowadays Still, it'll be like, hey, we have 100 people applied for this job. As a recruiter, I can't go through all 100. I'm going to go through the first 20, 25. I'm going to pick the ones out of those. I'm going to pick five. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to interview a handful. I'm going to send them on to the manager. That meant 75 people never even got a sniff, never got to be a part of it. And then those same companies will go, oh, we're super inclusive and we welcome everybody. And yet, you just totally didn't look at 75 people. AI will be able to go through and look at every single person and give every single person a chance to be a part of the process and really get to the best talent within that group. Now, again, it still might not be the best talent overall, but it's going to be a much better job of getting everybody an equal shot at that job that wants to be a part of it. Exactly. I feel like that's the most important thing. And I see that as a huge benefit for number one, the candidates, as well as the recruiters. Do you see any other potential benefits that this AI automation thing, of course, that's changing the landscape of everything? Do you see any more benefits that it'll have? I think every single aspect of what we do in the HR function, really every corporate function we have is going to be impacted by generative. An HR example that I give is HR like self-service or shared service, where an employee just calls HR and goes, hey, I don't know how much PTO I have. And they would go, did it, did it, get on their HCM and go, oh, you have 56 hours. Okay, cool. Thanks. Cool. Thanks. They would check that off as a success. I had a question. I answered it successfully. Everybody's happy. That's today. Now, if you think generative, they'll type in or they'll ask, hey, how many hours do I have? It would be 56. Now, generative would also go, well, wait, why does somebody ask how much PTO they have? Maybe they want to go on vacation. 
oh, hey, you have 56 hours. Are you going to go on vacation? Yeah, I'm going on vacation. I'm taking my wife and kids. We want to go to Disney. Oh, cool. Have you scheduled your flight yet? We can help you. We actually have a discount through our Disney program. If you want me to order your tickets, we know you have a couple of pets. Have you set up a pet sitter yet? Can I help you with that? Talk about a different level of employee experience. But somebody also might be calling for PTO because, oh no, I have a sick child or I have to take care of my mother who is sick or a grandparent. If that's the case, can we help you? Maybe we don't want you to take PTO. We'll get you started with FMLA. We can put you on intermittent leave and get some other benefits for you. Or do you have the right doctors or mental health resources you need? Or maybe somebody wants to know how many hours are because they're going to cash out and leave and we should have a safe strategy. Right now, we just deliver them the hours they want and we don't even ask a question. Where generative actually will probably already know why that person's asking because they have full access to their emails and they go, gosh, we know this person's already talking to other companies and interviewing. And so they're looking to cash out. And so it just takes it to a completely different level of potential employee experience that we might be able to deliver. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the AdaptiveOps community at operations.community. I personally believe that is where it's going. Everyone's afraid of where it's going right now, but I think the companies that can capitalize on the employee experience or just the experience of the requester, right? Yeah. They're going to win the battle because that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Just streamlining everything and making it as smooth as possible. No one wants to log into, I'm just going to say ADP. We don't use ADP, but no one wants yeah. to log into ADP. You forget your password. They got to send you a code, all of this stuff just to bounce through and request the next week off. Yeah. No one wants to do that anymore. And even the fact that, hey, you could save money on flights for like Disney and all these other things. Companies have a lot of these programs in place and their employees like no one's reading through the entire handbook. So they don't know. So meeting them where they are with that information makes everything so seamless. It's awesome. HR leaders constantly complain that, oh, we have this great retirement benefit, but no one uses it. Well, what if you constantly had a generative AI assistant reaching out to people going, hey, do you understand if you put $5 a week of your paycheck into this fund and we did this for three years, this is what this could turn into. Can I set that up for you? We have a company match. If you only put in $500, a company's going to match $500 and that $1,000 a year turns into whatever. We do it once a year for open enrollment. And then we just forget about it versus in the time when somebody might be ready to hear that and want to sign up, how easy can we make that for them and do that? Referral bonuses. We tend to put a referral bonus out there and we go, oh yeah, everybody knows about it. But what we don't know is the one time when, let's say I'm an accountant in a company of 25,000 people and we have multiple divisions. And then across the other side of the country, we have another accountant position open up. Well, wouldn't we want to contact all of our accountants in the company and say, hey, do you know somebody in the West Coast that's an accountant maybe you went to school with that would be open for this job? And we send that to them and do that. Right now, we would physically manually have to do that and send that out. And first, we have to look up all the people where Generative will just be able to automatically send that out for us. And we won't even ask. It'll just do it because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I agree. 
It just becomes more intuitive, right? It's the reason why most of us have an iPhone. It's not that the iPhone's better than the Google phone or the Android. It's actually not technically better. It's actually years behind. But the iPhone is so intuitive, even our grandparents can use it. The ease of use becomes so much better across the board. Yeah, it's all about experience. That's all it's about. I do have a question though. In the HR space, what roles and tasks do you see that humans will continue to have an advantage over AI? That's a great question. I always tell people, stop asking what AI is going to take away from you and ask what you uniquely have as a human that's different than what AI could ever replace. There's the empathy side. There's the connection side. We have this epidemic of loneliness right now. And we think, oh, well, AI will be able to take over for that. I don't think so. Maybe for a small, tiny portion of the people that will be happy talking to a computer. But for the most part, we have this superpower as humans to make others feel wanted and desired. And I think we have that in talent acquisition. We have that in HR. We have the ability to see somebody and take a look at their potential and go, gosh, I want to push this person right to a new level or to something where they didn't think they would. So I think we constantly have to look at what are those connections or things that we do that are uniquely human that a computer will have a really difficult time actually taking over from us. And those are the things like when I said, like in recruiting, recruiting will be completely different, but it will be also just as important to go out and really understand, hey, all this tactical process stuff, AI can do that. It can do it 24-7. It can do it better, faster than we can. But what it can't do is actually go out and make somebody feel desired that's the best in their field and make this connection over a long period of time. Those are the things that will stand out for everybody. Yeah, I'm on the same page as that. You got to have the human element at the end of the day. Washington, did you see that there's a, a grocery store? I think it was one of the Scandinavian countries, like the Netherlands or Norway or somewhere, where they actually, they went automated checkouts, but then they had a checkout that was specifically like, it was actually like a, it said slow lane. And the cashiers were trained to actually have conversations with the people and take more time because some people want that. We take a look at elevated experiences and what people will see as premium experiences, VIP experiences will be the times that you actually want to work with a human. You want to talk with a human because you don't even know how to explain the problem to AI, but a human could help you come up with what that might be and actually have that real connection. We talk to so many automated things right now in our lives that I think there'll be people willing to upcharge and pay more to actually have a real human experience. Oh, 100%. I completely agree with that. Even more now, I saw the grocery store thing, but ever since the pandemic, everyone's been stuck in their houses, even working from home still, a lot of people. Yeah. And you miss on that, you miss on that human connection. Now, if we automate every single thing that we do from hiring people, their employee experience, like number one, they're probably not going to take a job at that company. And number two, they probably won't stay at that company much longer. Yep. We're actually about to go over time, but I have two more questions and then I'll let you go. The first one is, what is the best advice you've ever received in your career? For me, it's always, it's been filled a void, which is no matter what role you're in, no matter what part of the company you're in, if you see that something's missing, that you see that somebody doesn't want to take a step forward into something like Anybody can do that for the most part, unless it's some really specialized skill. Like I'm not in a hospital and all of a sudden, hey, there's a brain surgery at two that we don't have a doctor for. I can't step into that, of course. But when I did work at a large health system, we were making this entire transition to electronic medical records, right? From old school to new school. And you would think, oh, that should be an IT. And the IT from a project management standpoint could run that. But what it meant was giant process to every single part of the health system. 
every single employee was going to be impacted. And so as a TA leader, I stepped in and said, hey, I'll take the leader role on that. And so step into the void because you never know where that's going to take your career. Most people just won't. And so the few that will potentially put themselves in a really great position for their executives and people just being able to do things that you never thought you could. Awesome. That's really good advice. And the last one, is there anything that you wanted to plug or chat about quickly that we didn't get to in our time today? No, I write a lot on my blog. I published a book called The Talent Fix. If you Google Tim Sackett, I'm like the first hundred pages. There used to be a truck driver chaplain named Tim Sackett out of Minneapolis. I think I stole all of his SEO. He's probably cursing me to God right now. I always tell people it would be cool if I was the same guy. Like I'm an HR tech guy during the week and then I'm truck driver chaplain on the weekend, but we're two different dudes. Yeah. That'll be a sweet gig. <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate you hanging out with us for 30 minutes here. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and hopefully we can chat again in the future for sure. Cool. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 